Hey folks, and welcome to The Prestige, a podcast about films by film lovers for film lovers. Now normally, every week we pick a film, we discuss that film, review that film, and kind of talk about the ideas and themes that film throws up. But as you may know, we are currently heading towards the end of season three, and our 150th episode. And so we're doing something a little bit differently. So Sam and I have put together what we consider sort of maybe the 30 best films that we've covered on the show over the last three and a bit years. And you may know we've put it up out for you guys to vote on two more films. So to, to we call the play-in films, the uh, the chance to, from the other sort of, you know, other 20, 30 good films we've covered, to vote and put through two through into into the mix for our playoff. And then over this week and sort of the coming weeks, we're going to be pulling together some guests, some uh, some friends of the show, some new, some old, and we're going to be talking about them and whittling those films down. So in a traditional playoff style, pitting a film against another film, seeing which one is the victor, and hopefully taking those those thirty two films down to sixteen, to eight, to four, to two, and eventually to one to crown the. <laughs> Not the best film, but certainly the one that uh, the maths allows to be the best film that we've covered on this show so far. So, as always, by my side I have Sam, who is my uh, one of my oldest friends and one of the smartest men I know. But we have roped in some extra help, because as anyone knows, Sam and I will disagree. um, And we can't have a tie when it comes to a tournament. So, special guest Annie, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us where you're from and what you do? Sure. Um, Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. I am Annie Mahady-Neller. I'm a PhD student at Indiana University. And I'm also the co-host of the Movie Morgue podcast, which Rob has been on in the past year. So that's kind of a bit about me and what I do. I, uh, I went on and introduced them to the wonderful world of Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. You did. Lowering the tone yet raising it at the same time. I mean, she's delightful. We enjoyed it. That she is. That she is. That's one for the new season, Sam. Yeah, I, I heard your episode of Movie Morgue. I'm not in a rush to watch it. <laughs> You're missing out. So, as I said, we've got some matches to talk about and discuss. We have taken our um, our 32 films and we've just randomised them, just got sort of thrown them into a hat and pulled out uh, two films to be match one and so on for there. So, first up, we have the, uh, in many ways... Some of these films kind of come up together and I think it'll link some sort of similar styles and similar techniques. So we have our first matchup, Brick versus Before Sunrise. Now, Before Sunrise was one of the play-in films, one of the films that you guys voted on and put through to the competition. So it's kind of, you know, it's your guys' champions, but obviously it isn't one that we chose from our top 30. So I'm intrigued to know how it's going to go. So I'm going to throw it open to you guys first. Where do you fall? I I was pleasantly surprised by, I mean, Brick was one that, that you introduced to me and I didn't think I was going to go on with it and I was pleasantly surprised by that. Um, having said that, I have a huge soft spot for Before Sunrise, in fact, for that suite of limited films. Um, so my preference would be for Before Sunrise. How about you, Annie? Oh, this is a tough one. Um, I'd say that if you had caught me about five years ago, I would have said Brick, because I absolutely love Brick. Um, It's gritty, it's uncomfortable, it's so in the wheelhouse of the high school movie, and yet it's got that neo-noir quality to it. But Before Sunrise is just so dreamy and beautiful and oddly heartbreaking um, and weirdly hopeful, too. (sighs) 
yeah, I'm going to have to go with Before Sunrise as well. I just really like it a lot. I think I'm going to join you there, to be honest. I think that, uh, much like Sam, I, I mean, not like that, I, I'd seen Brick a long time ago when it first came mm-hmm. out, and, and I loved it, absolutely loved the movie. Um, I think it is, as Annie says, it's that great mix of kind of like the high school tropes mixing with sort of really gritty film noir styles. Um, and Hand on Heart, I put off watching the before films because I kind of, in some sort of misplaced masculinity, wrote off the idea of these kind of rom-com movies as just not my thing, just mm. not my tempo. Um, as part of our season two, we dove into the whole franchise and they blew me away. They absolutely blew me away. And this first one in particular, it was one I was championing um, when me and Sam were kind of hammering out our list and it didn't make it through. I was so happy when it was saved by the... Um, by, by by the listeners so yeah i'm i'm gonna go all in and say actually for me it was before sunrise that was the one that i uh that uh, is gonna take it for me okay right then um second up rob sun running and harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban so where do you stand on these wildly different films what <laughs> <laughs> wildly different things now I'm, I'm I'm going Silent Running. I recommended it literally last week on the show. Um, I like the Harry Potter films. I'm a massive fan of Harry Potter films. Um, but I don't think The Prisoner is the best of the series, despite being often lauded as the better of, of the series. I don't think it is the best. I think it's just not... It's fine. It's fine. Um, if you were to throw the entire Harry Potter franchise in there, then maybe I might... I say, the, the original seven. I'm not going to include... Fantastic Beasts, because yeah. they are their own beasts. Um, but the original seven films, it might have tipped over for me. But if I'm just saving Azkaban, it's not going to be that. I think Silent Runnings is... It's a film that doesn't exist anymore. That is kind of, those kind of thought-out, sort of... Not emotional, kind of emotional, but also kind of intellectual and kind of ponderous sci-fi, sci-fi movies don't exist anymore. And I think that's something that, that's worth championing. So m- I'm going to fall down on the side of Silent Runnings. Can I speak up on behalf of Prisoner Escaban? Because I think, I think this film is brilliant. And I think, although I do prefer number five in this series to this, I do think that this is... I mean, it's head and shoulders above the first two films. It's a, it's a new director bringing new vision. The actors are... Um, a couple of years older than they were in the second one and it feels like a proper grown-up film rather than it kind of a, a, a sort of kids movie romp like the first two were and I really enjoyed this film and yeah okay I I, I enjoy Silent Running but I, I don't feel the love for it that you do and of these two I was I would be putting forward Harry Potter because I absolutely love it. And every time I watch it, and I watch it quite a lot, there is more to see technically and the way that the camera sort of moves through glass and the way that shots are constructed and the way the actors interact. And it's just such a clever piece of filmmaking. So I would go for Harry Potter. Annie, you've got to break it up. Oh, no. Oh no, I have to break the tie, huh? Okay, there's pros and cons to this. I did see a making of with Douglas Trumbull of Silent Running, and it was just absolutely amazing to me how they made this film at the time in terms of the props 
the costumes for some of the small robots and some of the sets. So I think it was actually a pretty remarkable film for the 1970s, despite being listed as kind of like this B sci-fi for some reason. <sighs> Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, I have to say that I have a lot more love for this movie, but I think that's a very subjective way to quantify that. Um, and it's partly about Gary Oldman. Everything his opinion. It's just yeah, to... no, it's mostly about Gary Oldman. I liked seeing him in this role. Um, I think he did a good job for what little time he was on screen. And I'm going to have to go with Azkaban on this one. It's just a thing. Defeated and already. There we go. <laughs> Harry Potter moves through to, to, to live another day. So up next is one that Sam pointed out to me to be a bit of a hard one for me. And I'm, I'm going to admit it is a hard one for me. Um, so I'm going to off my opinion last I think okay um, so we've got Dodo's Kaden the Akira Kurosawa movie and we have got Zero Dark Thirty the Catherine Bigelow Bin Laden movie Annie where do you fall um, Dodo's Kaden I would have to say would be the one that I would choose uh, and it's mainly for the trolley scene where they have this young actor <laughs> who is reconstructing all these like different actions around a trolley he's basically playing make believe it's an incredibly, incredibly difficult piece of acting, and it's just this remarkably beautiful scene, and I absolutely love that movie for that reason. Samuel. <sighs> Don't call me Samuel. Yeah, I know I should inject Force Jeopardy by going for Zero Dark Thirty, but Dozkin is just a beautiful piece of cinema, and Zero Dark Thirty, I think it's a great near perfect example of what it is and it's a big action blockbuster and it's better than a hundred different films of the same sort and it's undoubtedly well made and the acting performance is great and it's interesting but those kind of as Annie said there's something really beautiful about it and there's something I mean, parts of it are like little little works of art. Um, there's something almost it's something very very beautiful about the the visual aspect of a lot of the scenes. So I I would go with Kurosawa on that. My vote almost once again doesn't matter here. Um, but those who who aren't aware, um. I worked on Zero Dark Thirty, um, which is why really? I'm a bit torn here. And Dokuden has been one of my favourite films for 20 years since I saw it late night on BT2. Um, it is one of the movies that made me or led me towards being a film colourist, which eventually led me to me helping make Zero Out 30. So there is a, a through line for me between these two movies. Um, and I've got a lot of time for Zero Out 30. I think, as Sam says, it is it is smarter than a lot of movies of its ilk. Um, and it has a brilliant um, central performance from, from Chastain, who... This is kind of pre her rise to dominance that you know, she yeah. is now well known for being amazing. Um, but back then she brings this this heartfelt, steely resolve to a character that could easily have been less than that. And she's she earns every every plot she's got for the movie. But Dedos Kaden has been my second favorite film for twenty years mm. um, for a reason. It is the film that taught me about colour it is the film that taught me that colour and shape can mean more than just a film looking normal it was the film that opened my world to the idea of colour being something that's important in a movie and that is as integral to the narrative as any other part of that movie is so 
I, I this podcast wouldn't exist if it wasn't for that movie. I see. Um, so there's no <laughs> way in which I am rating and almost anything in this list above that is going to end. Um, a bit of a heartfelt plea there, but uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's in the film. It's hard to quantify what that film means to me. And then we did do an episode on it, um, and I talked a lot of it in that movie, and I, I, I waxed lyrical about that film. But this film does mean a lot to me. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's a complete whitewash there for um, uh, across the board for those good and I think, it, I think it earns it. Next up, once again, wildly different films um, <laughs> coming at each other. So we have Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, swashbuckling adventure film. And Good Will Hunting, the uh, mid-90s indie maths drama, I suppose. Um, I'm going to lay my stall out pretty early on this one and come down on the side of Indiana Jones. I think that Good Will Hunting is a brilliant film. I think it is an intelligent film. and I think it's a film that I watched a lot when I was a teenager um, and into my early 20s. And it meant a lot to me. But I think in terms of cinema, in terms of movies, in terms of the spectacle that Silver Screen can bring, I think Indiana Jones is one of the shining examples of that. I think there are, as we discussed in that show, there are a lot of problems around colonialism in those movies, um, more so, obviously, the second one than um, uh, than the other ones, and we don't talk about the lighter ones. But I think that for that kind of swashbuckling movie this is this is the this is the pinnacle of what that is so i think i'm gonna go down on indiana jones annie where do you stand okay i'm also coming down on the side of indiana jones despite it being it's just genuinely problematic as hell both of you are deluded it's terrible It's racist claptrap, but also Goodwill Hunting is written by two of the most successful, uh, like prolifically successful racists in Hollywood. Um, despite Goodwill Hunting being this script that's written by these two young guys, which respect for that, it's hard to write a screenplay just coming out of college. It really is. Um, I think Indiana Jones has a wider reach than Goodwill Hunting does. I think that. In terms of its staging and production, it's on a grander scale, and maybe that's something that appeals to me. Um, I also like the idea of, um, I don't know, having an Indiana Jones movie in here because it is so pop culture and Good Will Hunting is so not that. Um, so I guess that's why I'm siding with it, despite its problematics. Right, well, my my vote's irrelevant, and you probably know what my vote would have been. Would it be Goodwill Hunting? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much anything but the Temple of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> in fairness, they are both movies about academics, so I thought, you know, they're, they're right in your oh, wheelhouse. come on. Indiana Jones is not a movie about <laughs> academics. There's literally a scene of him yeah. teaching, you know, I feel that's... Well, right. he... Uh, Indiana Jones is a movie about what people think academia is like. Um, and also the phrase, it belongs in a museum, is its own uh, colonialist imperative, which I still hear a lot as an art historian from people. Yuck. <laughs> yes. Well, well, Indy takes it, despite <sighs> Sam's uh, vocal oppositions to it. So next up, these films are getting wildly and wildly further apart. Um, Um, But we have next up Chirac, the uh, Spike Lee movie from last year, and Big Hero 6, um, the uh, animated movie from a couple of years ago. Sam? Um, I... Yeah, I I like both of these films, and um, 
it was there were lots of good points about Chirac the the way that music was used and the way that it was an obvious continuation of what Spike Lee was doing throughout his career um, but I just love Big Aero 6 and I think it's I mean there have been stand-up animations in recent years that have transcended the idea of being a kids movie and just been genuinely good pieces of cinema that stand up against anything made quote unquote for adults and I think Big Hero 6 is one of those so sorry Spike but I would go for Big Hero 6 Annie hmm. now if this was Do the Right Thing or Malcolm X I would say side with Spike Lee mm. but for Chirac <sighs> There's been a significant amount of critique surrounding this movie, specifically from black feminists who, you know, see this version of Lysistrata that Lee is telling as being distinctly um, misogynistic in some of its overtones. And I realize that's a weird place to put my foot down, given the decision that I made previously. But um, uh, humans are contradictory. What can I say? So I'm also going to have to side with Big Hero 6, uh, partly because I think it's a story about what you do um, when you're grieving, what you do in the case of loss, Mm -hmm. and how you come back from that, how you find yourself after that. And I think there's something very redemptive in that storyline. And I also love the aesthetics of the movie itself. It sounds like I'm a bit more torn than two of you are. Um, Spike Lee was another revelation to me as doing the podcast. It's not a movie movie sort of filmography that I've dipped into much over my lifetime um, and I hand that whole hand up and say you know I grew up in a, a very white very middle class area um, I went to a, a very white middle class university and it isn't a sort of a film thing I connected with and so it was a huge like, the Spike Lee season that Sam and I covered this this season was brilliant for me like it opened my world to, to other movies mm-hmm. and I think that's worth supporting but i'm gonna meta game a little bit and know that further on down the list we do have mm. do the right thing in in our running as well so <laughs> knowing that that's out there and coming up and so that spike lee can be saved when he comes to it i'm probably gonna join you guys in big hero six i'm not as keen on animated movies i think as others are mm-hmm. um and Pixar probably a little bit less than most. I'm 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 on record as not liking a lot of Pixar movies, huh. um, but I genuinely did like Big Hero Six. I think, like Annie says, I fell in love with its style. The um, the San Frantokio it is called. Yeah. Like um, the the sort of the stylings of the the crashing of East and West and the sort of the technology in the world. And as you say, that the actually really heartfelt emotion behind it of this art trying to raise these two kids and and dealing with the death of that and how, how all that happens um so yeah i'm going to i'm going to join you guys big hero six has my vote but it has comes in asterisks of i know what's coming up so it's a bit of an easier choice than otherwise it would be um so next up we have bags of future against the film which gave this podcast its name the uh-huh. prestige um and as you know, it, let's not give it that much emotional weight. It just happened to be a catchy name that we were up with. Um, and also some of the mechanics behind how Prestige worked were uh, interesting to us. So, um, Annie, where, where would you 
that you had out of those two? Uh, it's going to be hands down the prestige and it's mainly for David Bowie's cameo in it um, as Nikola Tesla. I think that, you know, Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman and Scarlett Johansson give these really, truly riveting performances in this film. Um, but it was really Bowie's cameo that gave me just sort of a deep and enduring love for the prestige in general. And Rob, where would you be? I'm going to come down on the sort of back feature. Um, okay. I, I've been on record many times for just not liking Nolan films. Christopher Nolan is, is a an act, a director who with whom I cannot connect and I yeah. do not like. Um, the Prestige, I will say, is probably the best of his films and certainly mm-hmm. towards the top in my ranking of his movies in that I actually enjoy this film. Um, when we did our our sort of our coverage of um, this film earlier in the year, I, I was more complimentary than I was expecting to be. Um, and as Sam says, it is clever in its in its how it lays it out. And I, I've got a lot of respect for films that are that are that I like that. Um, and it feels smart in a way that other Nolan films don't feel smart to me. Mm. So I've got time for the Prestige, but I think that Back to the Future is. It's a classic. I think mm-hmm. it has it is has so much in its favour. I think it is funny and smart and heartwarming. Um, and you know, I talked earlier about uh, Indiana Jones being a good, a good ripping yarn, a story. Mm-hmm. As I know, and I feel this is that same in that same kind of you know bracket. I think Back to the Future. I mean, it, it's not a film that needs plaudits. It certainly isn't that. But I think for me between those two it's got to come down on the side of back to the future but i fear knowing sam my vote is going to be in vain here <laughs> sam well uh, this is this is this is genuinely difficult um i thought i mean as as you said i i thought it would be quite an easy decision i do really enjoy the prestige and I like how clever it is as a film and how it's playing with you as a viewer. And I enjoy, enjoy films like that. And I, I think Nolan is at his best when he's doing that in something like Memento, for example. Um, both of you, again, really clever. I think it's, it, it's certainly the, I think the best of the franchise and... It, like you said, it's a classic. I mean, it's it's spawned so much in the world of pop culture. I mean, it was one of the only computer games I can remember playing lots. And I think this was even before I'd seen the film, which made it a really confusing computer game to play. <laughs> um, and also, if I go for the prestige again, it'll look like I'm ganging up on Rob. Uh, <laughs> After three years, everyone's usually just going for me. It's fine. Oh, but the prestige is so good, and uh, yeah, all right, we go the prestige. Sorry, Rob. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, I, I, I stand defiant. I stand alone. That's okay. Um, and I know what's coming up in two rounds' time, so I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not begrudging anyone okay, any hard choices yeah. currently. <laughs> um, so next up, um, weirdly line up the, the battle of the thus. Once again, very different films. Uh, we've got The Apartment and The Matrix. Annie, where do you fall? Uh, can I ask, we're talking about the Billy Wilder yep. film, The Apartment, mm-hmm. right? Oh, okay, that's great, <laughs> because that's exactly what I would choose, because I'm a big Billy Wilder fan. 
the apartment is a, a flawed movie, but it's also just aesthetically gorgeous. The scenes of the offices in that film are, I just remember being enraptured when I saw that as a young kid. I also really enjoy Billy Wilder's screenwriting and direction, you know, in Stalag 17 and uh, in Double Indemnity as well. I'm going to have to go with the apartment here. Well, this is this is quite boring because I would go with the apartment as well. Um, <laughs> um, I just the Matrix, meh. I mean, okay, it's all right, but come on, the apartment's brilliant. The apartment just, I mean, that that last line is better than so many other films. Yeah, it just it's. It, it's just an astounding piece of filmmaking, and I think I would go for the apartment because it almost blindsided us. It was kind of for both of us. I don't, I don't remember who picked it. I don't remember why we picked it, but it was just out of left field, and it was just brilliant. And I wasn't expecting it to be so good, and it was amazing. So I would go to the apartment. Excellent. I echo there a little bit. I think it was it did blindside me a little bit. My I think I often hold my hand up and say that my sort of classic film education is is lacking. I was not raised enough in a household that watched movies, um, and so most movies I've come to on my own. Um, and so when it comes to this kind of classic movies, I am often adrift and at sea. And the apartment was one that I think honestly it was it was a sound recommendation rather than mine because I wouldn't have never having never seen it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see that. It was great. It was it was really good. Um, I think, as you say, the, the visuals, that the almost kind of um, surrealist element of the apartment. Uh, I remember the time loving the shots of the party that the, that, that mm-hmm. they're at and, and all of that. And and you're right. It has it's, it's funny and it's sweet. That being said, <laughs> I am going to vote for the. <laughs> Um, because I knew it. Um, no, I think I think bottom line, like we've picked these as the best films, and I do think they're good films. All everything, everything we're listing here, I think is a, is a good film. Um, the Matrix, I think, is it's a, it's a personal choice. It's entirely personal. I think the film was a huge part of my growing up. I think yeah. the film, as someone who's worked as a film technician for you know the last fifteen twenty years, fifteen years. Um, I can completely look at this movie and think that changed the industry and that changed the game. That, oh, that totally. brought a lot of the elements of what had traditionally been sort of pigeonholed into genre fare in, in, in Hong Kong cinema and brought those techniques across America. It brought <laughs> cyberpunk into yep. the, 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 the mainstream after you know, the peak of Blade Runner. It, it fused together cyberpunk and Hong Kong action and action movies and all of these things I think Keanu Reeves is perfectly cast in it I think Lawrence Fishman is perfectly cast in it and the sequels which get a lot of hate and I do have a little bit of a I will stand on the hill for them a little bit more than most will but I think that first one is is a brilliant and a perfect 90s action movie Um, and I think that that's why it gets my vote I think that The Apartment is brilliant um, but if you said to me, Rob, you've got an afternoon, you'll pick one of these films to sit down and watch, I'm going to pick The Matrix. I'm going to pick The Matrix. I'm going to go back to Zion and, and, and live that life again. I, I can't lie to you. So, Matrix, once again, my vote doesn't matter, um, and I am outvoted, but uh, The Matrix has it for me. 
Right, let's. I will introduce this because I have a feeling this is the most difficult decision Rob's ever made. Not just on this podcast, <laughs> just ever. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, we we have the Blues Brothers versus Clerks. Um, Annie, where would your vote be? Oh my God, you were talking about this being the most difficult decision for Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I have more fun watching Clerks. But I do have to say that I think the Blues Brothers has deeper resonances in American culture even still than Clerks does. Like, if I bring up Clerks with friends colloquially, like, we'll be able to say lines from it and joke about it. But if you bring up the Blues Brothers, you will get a love fest from, you know, a lot of different people. And I think it's partly because the movie is about white Americans' relationship with um, blues music by African-American artists. So, uh, this is tough. I'm going to have to go with Clerks just because I enjoy it more, I guess. What about you two? I'm going to go because Rob needs more time to think about this. Clearly, Uh, yeah. um, I... Not a huge fan of slacker cinema, but I do think Clerks is a genuinely great film, and um, I can kind of put aside any reservations I have about the genre because Clerks is just so brilliantly made. And I mean, I'm not a huge fan of what Kevin Smith did in his career after this, mm. but I think this is so of its time such a brilliant I mean you you talk about The Matrix as being sort of changing the game in cinema and I think Clerks is is similarly I suppose it's it's a similar touchstone in terms of the way people think about pop culture in cinema having said that I have loved the Blues Brothers for years and not as much as Rob has but um (laughs) I mean, it, I, I love the music and I love the fact that it's unashamedly at times prepared to skimp on narrative because music is what it's about. And like you said, the uh-huh. relationships involved in in creating music and in interacting with music are what it's about. Um, so, yeah, of those two, I would probably go for the Blues Brothers. So it's my choice. Mm. Uh-huh. <sighs> um, to explain to listeners who may not know, um, Blues Brothers has been my favourite film untouched for 23 years since I saw it as a 13-year-old kid. Clerks is the movie that made me want to make movies um, and has been my third favourite film since I saw it at age 15. The, the, the resonance that Clerks has on my entire life my entire career almost outshines Dennis Caden. They are they are pipped to the post those two films as to their, their impact on me. But Blues Brothers has been my favourite film since I was thirteen. Um and I'm I'm saying it like I have an answer and I haven't got an answer yet. Um to be really honest, I haven't got an answer between these two. I think I've got to separate out my personal feelings from the movies because my personally as Rob, 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 I, I can't pick. These two films are like killing two of my children. So I can't pick. I've got to look at them a bit more 
relatively a little bit more um, sort of coldly. And I think I think I've probably got to come down on the side of Blues Brothers. Yeah. I think that, as Annie says, the cultural impacts of this movie are are big and that they have waves. And I think Clerks is big amongst our peer group. Um, yeah. But yeah. I think, like, my parents have seen it. Um, my little brother's never seen it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think it, it's a time and a place movie, and I think it hit me massively, but I don't think it has that same mm. resonance outside of that, whereas Blues Brothers maintains its some of its cultural weight. I think that the Blues Brothers has more people doing brilliant things than Clerks does. I think Clerks has a brilliant writer um, and an interesting director um, filled with adequate actors who kind of pull together what is a a sort of time capsule of a movie. But Blues yeah. Brothers has so many people doing so many good things. So mm-hmm. as much as it breaks my heart, <laughs> I'm going to vote against Clerks and go for Blues <laughs> Brothers. Um, but I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it because the one that you chose uh, has Nazis getting pushed off a bridge. So I'm all right with that. <laughs> that, that, that is true. Um, but yeah, that, that, this is a decision that's going to haunt me for a while. And I don't think I've made the right choice, but I don't think I've made the right choice. And I don't think... <laughs> oh, I can't... Like, like, these things are random. We randomize all these movies. And I can't believe it came out as, as a... Um, as a as a combination, but there we go. We, we must we must draw a line. We must move on. We must move on. Um, we come on to round nine, um, and that is high fidelity versus social network, which you recall the battle of the entitled woke men um, and their relationship to women. So, Annie, I'm intrigued for your thoughts on these two films. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just taking a moment to remember the plot of both of these movies. Uh, Full disclosure, I'm not a huge fan of Jesse Eisenberg, um, to the point that I don't usually watch movies with him in it, the one exception being American Ultra. Uh, um, But I do think that The Social Network is one of the, I guess, more, I want to say, accurate films when portraying how tech culture evolved and also kind of how it works still in terms of sexism um, amongst a host of other things involving stealing intellectual property. High Fidelity is a little bit more fun, and John Cusick is at least more relatable to me. Um, I'm going to have to go with the uncomfortable choice, which is social network, despite my misgivings. Can, can I plead the fifth and just not answer for this one? <laughs> you made me choose. You have to choose, sir. Oh, they just, just, just privileged white men being obnoxious <laughs> about women, and it, it's like I, I don't want, I don't want either of them. Um, <laughs> uh, social network, yes, okay. <laughs> it, well directed. I have more time for Jesse Eisenberg than Annie does. Um, I find him quite <laughs> engaging at times. I can see him. I mean, okay, in this film he he was annoying, but then Mark was annoying. Um, high fidelity. 
I tell you, just just more fun. Social network ended, and you thought, well, that was two hours of my life I'm never going to get back, and and now I'm all depressed. <laughs> um, I thought he was just like, like finding a mixtape from the nineties and and being pleasantly surprised by songs you've forgotten mm. about. So I'll I'll go five fidelity. Okay, okay. I'm I'm going to side with Annie here. Um, and go such a network just to just to not bury the lead there. I think High Fidelity is one of those films that I love it for mostly I think for nostalgia reasons. Um, mm, I think it's yeah. when I look back on and think about watching it when I was younger. Um, but when I watch it these days, it it does it as Sam says it feels very aged, um, both in its its um, sort of mise en scène and also in its some of its moralities and some of its um, portrayals. And I think that. The film, if we wanted to look at these two films as tales of entitled white guys and their their bad actions towards women and their bad things they do, High Fidelity does nothing to kind of show us that he's a bad man. He's the hero. He's the protagonist. He's the hard-done-by hero. Whereas Social Network at no point attempts to, I don't know, um, raise Zuckerberg up to be any sort of hero. He's presented early on as being a dickhead and he remains one for the entire movie so I think if we're going to look at it from some sort of moralistic point of view I've got to go with social network but for me as often said technicality is what's going to win me over now I think that the opening maybe 10 minutes 10-15 minutes the scene in, in the bar followed by the scene in which he hacks into all the Facebooks of the college and builds his app is an absolute masterclass in writing direction but mostly editing I think yeah. he, the, you, he, the directors create what is one of the most tense and action-filled scenes of a guy at a computer writing. And it's amazing. I think that the technicality that swings this movie together is... It's Fincher, who is a technical master, and I have a lot of time Fincher. It's him at some of his best. And I think mm. that flows through um, the entire movie. You know, The very fact of, of the Winklevoss twins is one actor... And I genuinely remember after watching it thinking it wasn't. And it wasn't until Arnie Hammer came, sort of came back down the line like, oh no, that was one person. That was one person doing two roles. And I think that the technicality of making this movie is is brilliant. And, and I've got to give it that credit. So I'm going to go Social Network is going to get my vote here. Okay. Right, next up is The Martian versus Seven Samurai. Um... I will say right now that I'm not sure how I'm going to... I do I do genuinely get on with both these films and I'm not sure how I'm going to vote, so I'm waiting to be persuaded. Guys, go. Annie, you go first. <laughs> oh, it's Seven Samurai uh, for me. And again, that's my own personal preferences for Akira Kurosawa's films. I just... I remember seeing his films as a kid again... Perhaps this is nostalgia, but the way that his DP sets up shots in that movie is just masterful. Um, I I just, I love Seven Samurai, and that's the one that I'm going with. Um, the Martian, I like as a, a story about literal alienation and, you know, kind of like, how do you carry on? How do you get back home a la Gravity? But I'm just not sure that it has the same pull for me that Kurosawa's films do. I'm I'm a bit torn as, as Sam is on this film. I, on this, this vote, um, I think 
what anything Annie says there is, is true. I think Akira Kurosawa is a master of the form. Um, and I think Seven Samurai is, in many ways, his masterpiece. I think that, the, as you say, the framing of these shots and the story it tells and the way it does it in kind of this, it's almost a very slow, brilliant action. Um, this film is, is amazing. I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a masterpiece for a very good reason. The Martian, I think, is the very much the underdog of this this standoff. Um, but I have a a long and tortured history with Martian in that I was reading along with the initially the blog posts they were when they were being written by the author, and then when it became the book and became the movie. So I find it very hard to separate the movie out from the whole experience. I think the the book itself, the the larger book, is a brilliant mm. slice of hard sci-fi of which I'm a big fan. And whilst the movie doesn't cover anywhere near half the uh, the story of the of the book, I do have a lot of time for these kind of man alone films, the survivor films, and one like this particularly where it does take the science seriously. It does take the ideas of how you survive seriously, um, and I like um, once again Chastain pops up in it. I like the the large ensemble cast. This movie I enjoy. Um, seeing Danny Glover, Danny, uh, Donald Glover, um, in in his part roles, seeing all the people now on Earth, um, I very much enjoy this film, and it's a film that I do tend to watch a lot. It is a film to me that, for want of a better word, I use as a tool when I'm feeling low or feeling disheartened or feeling stuck in a rut. It's a film I watch to kind of unblock me and kind of get me going again. So they're very different films and very different uses in my life. Um, I am it's because because we're old friends. I can do this to Sam. I'm going to vote the Martian. Um, just to <laughs> vote, just to make Sam choose. Um, I do think that they. I don't. This, this is no way a denigration of Seven Samurai. It is a masterpiece of a movie. Um, but once again, subjectively, I'm going to vote the Martian because I think it's. It was my film of the year. It came out, and it still remains a brilliant film for me. Sam. <sighs> After that slip, I had a sort of vision of Danny Glover and Matt Damon in a buddy cop movie. Uh, in space, on Mars. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so, Martian Seven Samurai. Um, uh, I think. Mm, I'm not sure. I I really liked The Martian when it came out. Um, it was in my top five of the year. It wasn't my film of the year, but it was great. Um, Seven Samurai, if we were to go with the American remake, then I have a huge soft spot for The Magnificent Seven, and I'd probably go yeah. for that. Um, but I just think this is again kind of a messy decision because I know there's another Kurosawa further down um, in this instance I will plump for the Martian wow I honestly did not see that going that way but there we are the Martian makes it through <laughs> I didn't either um, round 11 now this I think can be a hard one this is going to be maybe one that's going to split the uh, maybe Sam I'm not sure how to perform this one um, but we have the uh, classic movie that is definitely not a Christmas film, Die Hard. Um, and the slasher movie that's set in space, Alien. So Sam, having gone last last time, I'm going to push you to go first this time. Right. Um, 
it, it's not really a decision for me, actually. Um, as much as I kind of like the sort of old school stylings of Alien, and I particularly like Ian Home in that film, um, and the way that he turns, I think, is, is brilliantly done, and the, the fact that Sigourney Weaver is an early example of the sort of um, feminine protagonist who is kind of absent for much of cinema history is good. It just... It, Mm. just not as good as Die Hard Die Hard is brilliant <laughs> it's just and Alan Rickman it, 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 Bruce Willis yeah. it's just <laughs> incredible I, I would okay I, I will argue with Rob about whether it is or is not a Christmas film I think it's largely irrelevant whether it is or not because it's just such a brilliant piece of cinema um, and I love this film I I not hmm. I also love the second one, um, and the third one. Pretty much any diehard film. One well, actually not any, the first three diehard films. Um, but yeah, there were only three. Sam, there were only three. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, of those two, I would definitely go with diehard. Annie, how about you? Okay, I think I'm going to settle this debate right now and say that Die Hard is most definitely a Christmas movie. Um, and that there should be no debate surrounding that. Uh, but again, I'm in the States, and uh, what we think of as a Christmas movie is just a tiny bit different. So um, I do really like Die Hard. I, I love Alan Rickman in it, playing this just totally ridiculous role. Uh, again, this is another movie that I saw a making of, and the way that it got made from the novel into the movie is just really cool, to be honest. Alien, I like for the H.R. Geiger designs. I like for Sigourney Weaver. Um, I also have, you know, kind of special memories of it. It was one of the first films that my husband and I actually watched together, um, and I, I just remember being totally like blindsided by Alien. I had never seen it before and it was just remarkable. This one's a difficult one. Um, I guess because I'm feeling in the holiday spirit, I'm going to have to go with Die Hard. <laughs> That's going to hurt a bit. You oh, I used to like you, Annie. I used to like you. Um, Not only is your photo relevant, but you're wrong about Die Hard being Christmas films as well. It's not a Christmas film. <laughs> Being set at Christmas doesn't make a Christmas film. Um, anyway, before that, then that's a whole podcast in itself. And we'll put mostly be my December on Twitter and Facebook yelling about how it is a Christmas film because it happens every year. And it's January. Yeah. And February. Um, so I think this is, this is, this is, as much as this is my heel to die on about Christmas film, it, I, I do sometimes have to stand up and say, look, it isn't a Christmas film, but it is a brilliant film. Like it, my, my saying isn't Christmas film. I think Die Hard is is an amazing action film. I think Bruce Willis is at the peak of his charisma at this point. I think Alan Rickman is having such delightful fun playing this bad guy, mm-hmm. like chewing on the scenery, and it's a brilliant, brilliant film. Alien, um, I think, as you say, it is it is beautiful is the wrong word, but visually it is a striking and stunning movie. Um, it's not beautiful in the same way that you know, a, a, a 
tree of life might be something beautiful, but it certainly it is a beautiful film. The way it's set up, in the, the the look of it, and 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 the designs, the guide designs, and the sort of lived inness of this future world. Um, and I think this is a Sigourney Weaver. It's brilliant in it. I think all the supporting roles are brilliant in it. I think weighing it up, and I'm well aware once again, it doesn't matter. Um, having been voted down twice, I am going to side with Alien. I think that. Die Hard's a brilliant action movie, but I think that Alien brings so much to the table, both in horror and and in sci-fi, that I think that can't be overlooked. So I would vote Alien. It isn't going to matter. Uh, once again, the Die Hard train rolls on, and I stand <laughs> against its Christmasness because you know, just set a Christmas. This is a Christmas film. Um, but there we go. Once again, we must move on. We must move on, and. Uh, this next up is going to be a once again a, a strange matchup, maybe a David and Goliath. I don't know. Um, we've got another Kurosawa movie, a Russian one, um, one that has birthed literally the phrase into our into our world, um, and the idea of a Russian movie, and a much more smaller, much little less known movie, The Station Agent. Mm. Annie, what are your views on these two? Oh, man. Um, This is another really tough one for me because the aesthetics of Rashomon are just extraordinary. And also, um, I did like five years of fencing when I was in college, and I remember just loving watching Rashomon and a lot of other Kurosawa films for that reason. Um, Just for the way that he aestheticizes violence, I think is particularly amazing, actually. The station agent, though... Um, I think it's overlooked a lot. And it's this very small, intimate film. Um, there's a lot about personal heartbreak and also about the daily struggles of life in Station Agent that I kind of enjoy. It's about transitory phases in life. And, you know, Peter Dinklage is just great in it. Um, I'm going to have to go against my own grain here and say the station agent because I just I think it really is that good. I'm I'm gonna settle this right here now and say I agree. I think I think Russian Man is is a great film and I think as you say I, I, I in my mind I still picture those opening scenes of the rain at the gate. Um mm. and the texture of that rain is, is is an image that is burnt forever into my mind. But station agent is that's one of the when, when Sam and I started this podcast that was one of the movies that was on my very short list of we've got to talk about this film mm. because it isn't a film that gets a lot of love I don't think Sam had seen it prior to the show no um, and I saw it on a beaten up VHS on my friend's bedroom at university and it blew me away and it continues to blow me away this film that is so divorced from anything in my life um, in every single part of my life but it is just it is sweet and triumphant and all mm. about the the dignity of the human spirit and the power yeah. of friendship, but also about humiliation and about the mm-hmm. lowest point in a man's life and facing up to the demons within himself and within others. And I just think the depth, every time I watch this movie, the, the depths of that movie are exposed more and more to me. Um, and I'm going to continue watching it for years to come. So it's going to be station for me. So Sam, you are free to go whichever way you like here. Um, yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go that way. Um, well, it's not going to matter, but can I just stick up for the Kurosawa? Because, I mean, 
Yes, Station Agent I hadn't seen before, and I was that was another one that I was I was surprised by. Kind of like Brick in our first matchup, that I wasn't expecting it to be like that. Um, wasn't expecting to engage with it the way I did, but Rashomon is Rashomon, and <laughs> um, mm. not only would I put this through in this matchup for itself, but I put it through kind of for Kurosawa's work as a whole and yeah. for I mean so that sort of area of cinema as a whole, it doesn't get such it doesn't get championed so much as say mm-hmm. e- even sort of smaller independent films like The Station Agent it's still got a western film and I would put Rashomon through as an example of Eastern cinema that doesn't get mm. championed in this country or in the States. Um, but yeah, it doesn't matter. It's fine. I, I think I think you know, we'll we'll all happily say that almost every film that we're talking about on this list, they're all good films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even the ones we're getting against are, are good films. Talking of uh, films that are uh, also wildly different. We've got up our, our, our match thirteen, um, the staple of 90, 90s horror and maybe the rebirth of that genre a little bit. Scream versus the maybe most well known and often most beloved, despite these movies, do the right thing. Sam, it, this isn't really a contest for me. Well, actually, no, it, it is a contest. I mean. Scream was big in the 90s. It was a an important part of growing up for me. It was an important film in my adolescence. It's kind of a pop culture touchstone and thing that people quoted and thing that... I mean, you and I probably saw it as a sleepover. It's that sort of mm. film that you watch when, when you're 15. Um, but Do the Right Thing, I hadn't seen before uh, Spike Lee month and... It was just like being hit in the face. It's just <laughs> incredible, and I, it's, yeah, it, it's just thinking about it. It is no contest. Scream is is a bit of nostalgia for me personally, but viewing it fairly objectively in terms of cinematic impact and everything else about this matchup, did the right thing is head and shoulders the winner. I'm going to step in and say I completely agree. I think that okay. this is the one re- ma- matchup for me which I looked at it and thought, not even a contest, not even a moment's thought of which way I was going to go. Um, I can, I think everything Sam said applies to me as well. I hadn't seen it before. I'll watch through for this. And it was blistering and incendiary and everything that I would want from a movie. It, it was... it. To this day, I mean, we, 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 you know, we're six months and ten months on from watching it. Um, I'm still thinking about the movie and thinking about what I think about the movie and coming up with different ideas about maybe what was going on and what my reaction to it was and mm. trying to assess my reaction to that movie. Um, and I don't see that going away anytime soon. I think the film is... It's just brilliant. It's just amazing. It's so beautifully shot. It's so heartbreaking in every single part of that movie every bit of it's heartbreaking um but it's lived in and it's real and it gives you this the smallest as you know someone from a nice suburb of britain 
will never experience that kind of institutionalized and ingrained racism that is that seems to be part of that kind of that kind of culture and it's a view on the world that i would never get if it wasn't for cinema so yeah it, it's 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 absolutely the right thing for me it's it's it was no contest annie uh <laughs> yeah i mean kind of the same like there isn't really a contest that i see going on here either i I'm also biased because I teach Do the Right Thing in my classes, and I pair it with this really great book called The Ethnic Project, Transforming Racial Fiction into Ethnic Factions. Um, it's by Vilna Bakshi Treitler, or Bashi Treitler, excuse me. Uh, it's a really fantastic film that explores the tensions between all of these different groups and really kind of focuses on how they all apply labels to one another. And what that results in. But on top of the the themes and just Spike Lee's ability to kind of penetrate to the heart of the matter, I think it's really beautifully shot. And there's a lot of like great hip hop that's mixed into it as well. So it's a really enjoyable film to watch, despite it being very uncomfortable at times. So, yeah, I'm going to have to agree. It's definitely do the right thing. Do the right thing takes it across the board then. So over to round 14, getting near the end now, guys. Um, we've got the matchup. Once again, wildly different films, um, but films that I think, for me, certainly this is a slightly harder choice. Uh, we've got uh, Mad Max Fury Road against Reservoir Dogs. Now, I have a feeling I know which way Sam's going to go, but I'm intrigued to know if I'm right. So, Sam? Uh, yeah. Um, I will tear my eyes away from googling the book that Annie just mentioned um, and yeah Mamo's Fury Road Reservoir Dog um, I'm trying to make this interesting but Reservoir Dogs is brilliant <laughs> um, I think for all that Quentin Tarantino's career has kind of and not unraveled in the past 25 years but it's gone in more predictable directions um Reservoir Dogs is just brilliant um there the that opening scene in the diner which is is sort of slack cinema yet sort of not uh-huh. um and then that scene with the torture to um stuck in the middle with you it, it, that's another film that stays I mean you talked about Do the Right Thing is staying with you and it definitely does this is another film which for very different reasons will still stay with me it has cinematic input, impact on me um, mm. and <laughs> yeah my most few road they drive out for a bit and they turn around and come back I mean <laughs> so uh, Reservoir Dogs Annie what were you? <laughs> Um, I'm also going to go with Reservoir Dogs, but it's not for any of the performances. <laughs> it's not because of any of the performances. Um, I do think that Mad Max Fury Road is an excellent film. I remember seeing it in theaters. Um, I think it's just a very, very strong film. And I really did like Charlize Theron in the role of uh, Furiosa. But when it comes to pitting these two films against one another it's almost unfair because Reservoir Dogs was it's sort of like an earthquake and Mad Max Fury Road is like the sound of the rumble of a car engine 
Um, Reservoir Dogs aesthetics, I think, are what really sell the movie for me. And that's mainly about its color palette, um, the sort of like sickly green of the warehouse, the um, pitted facade of the brick buildings, the splotches of sticky red blood um, on Tim Roth. Uh, Yeah, Reservoir Dogs is one of those movies that I can't forget. And for that reason... I'm saying this is my choice. Just to be aware, Annie, we're stamping all over Rob's dreams here, but... (laughs) I I thought we might be. As as you were talking about, I'm just remembering that scene when um, he walks out to his car in the middle of a torture scene, and it's just incredible the way the light sort of changes, and you're kind of very aware that this is just mind-blowing cinematography as he goes out his car, gets something, and then goes back into the warehouse. It's just brilliant. Sorry, Rob. No, it's it's fine. I think <laughs> Reservoir Dogs is a, is a brilliant film, and it deserves all the plaudits it gets. It absolutely does. And I think that there are many films that in this match-off where I would have put Reservoir Dogs had head and shoulders above them. And I... And I I think it's a very good film. I think everything you say is true. I think it is a is a low budget film that changed a lot of cinema. It changed a lot of American indie cinema, um, and I think it's it's a very f- not fun ride, but it's a very it's a movie that pulls you along and does so at, at quite a bit like pace. But I am going to vote Mad Max: Fury Road. I think that mm-hmm. for me, Mad Max was okay. I've often espoused on this show a theory that I haven't really got a good name for, but when you're discussing a movie, you've got to ask the question, why is this a movie? Why is this a movie rather than a play mm-hmm. or a book or a radio play or whatever? Why is this a movie? Why am I seeing this in a cinema rather than listening to it as an audiobook or anything like those lines? And Mad Max, there is no version of Mad Max that exists with any kind of power that isn't a cinema. It is, it is a yeah. movie experience. It is cinema writ large and I think that that's something worth talking about I think the film itself yeah it has you know it's it's it can be simple and it doesn't feature maybe the the, the deep character moments of something like Resident Dogs though I, I think as Annie says Charlie Theron does some great work in this in, in not a lot but I think it is it's bombastic and it's a movie where you know the, the old adages will sell you the whole seat but you'll only use the edge that is the movie this is, this is the movie where it just starts and does not ever stop and it blew me away the visuals I think are amazing I think that the practical effects are in together but also as a colorist the colors in it the blues and the yellows and the reds the deep blood reds the movie brings mixed with mm. uh, further down like these kind of the, the the beautiful greens of the grass and the sickly yellows of um, sort of different people. I think this film is it's it's a it's a visual spectacle that uh, many f- films have tried to reach but never quite reach. And I think in this day and age, when we have things like the Marvel films, which are brilliant films but look very bland, um, yeah. And a lot of films, the, the very few films he did, we think, yeah, you know what that, that that was that was out there. That was swinging for the fences. Um, and Mad Max swung for fences in every respect, and I will always have time for movies like that. So mm. once again, I stand alone against, against my two <laughs> friends here. But I was going to go for uh, yeah, Mad Max. But Reservoir Dogs takes it. That is, it, it is, it's one. You know, Reservoir Dogs is a brilliant film. I'm happy to see it going further. Mm. 
Um, it, closing in on the end of our matchups, uh, we have and yet another pairing of two wildly different films: uh, Beast of the Southern Wild versus Whiplash. So, Rob, where where would you stand on this? I this isn't one that it doesn't have the same kind of weight as the earlier choices, but I do feel a bit stuck between these two. They are very different films. Um, Beasts on the Wild is a beautiful film with his ethereal. It has kind of the for me the right kind of whimsy, but also heartfeltness. But it feels at times a bit too baggy, a bit too loose um, for me to really connect too deeply with it. Whiplash is brilliantly, brilliantly shot. Um, but as I've often said in the show, uh, my time of watching horrible people do horrible things to each other <laughs> as a movie is something I, I run tired of occasionally. So both these films kind of sit mid-range for me. Um, if I'm making a choice, and I've got to make a choice, I'm going to go with Beasts of the Southern Wild. I think that for me, as often as we've highlighted here, the visuals for me are going to trump most of the things. I think that the the film, once again, as I said, when it comes to Mad Max, it swings for the fences. It does things that are out there. And whether everyone got bored with it, that's a different matter. But for me, it had ambitions beyond just being another film. And that's something I'm going to respect. So Beast takes it for me. What about you, Sam? Um, this this is a tricky one for me. I think I I think I liked both of these films better than you did. Um, so it's it's difficult for me for for different reasons. Um, I think as you said, Beasts of the Wild is just so beautiful to look at. Um, some of the scenery is just so lush and the central relationship is just so beautifully portrayed um, and the acting performance from the the young actor is just so incredible um, but then hmm, I, f- I feel like Whiplash is is another one not as good as Do the Right Thing but it's another one that it just felt really quite violent and it demanded I mean it, it just made it yeah. grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and made me watch the film and I really enjoyed that the way that the the director does to you the same thing that the teacher is doing to his pupil. It it sort of feels almost punishing in the way that it, it forces you to watch this um, sort of decaying relationship. Um, and it stays with me. I, I really like that film. So I think of the two, I would go with Whiplash. Annie, you got the casting vote. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> Yay! Um, uh, this one's going to be Beast of the Southern Wild for me. Um, and it's. Beasts of the Southern Wild, I have a lot of feelings about, mainly because, you know, it's really coming out in this period where, in the States, we're all trying to deal with the aftermath of these massive hurricanes in Louisiana, and it's a sort of event that leaves this traumatic, gaping wound in the landscape, much as it does in our psyches, 
And to see a film that is this beautiful and lush, that looks like a landscape painting in virtually every shot, is really remarkable. But also to see a film which depicts a super young black female child with such heart and such empathy and such kindness, um, that is a rarity in American cinema. And I think that's part of the reason why I, I like this movie. I like it for the portrayal of the character of Hush Puppy by Kavenzene Wallace. Um, I love the scene where she says that if her dad kills her, people are still going to know her name down the line. Um, they're still going to remember her. No one is going to forget. Um, and I think Beasts of the Southern Wild just kind of had a, a very deep resonance for me when I was watching it. So it takes it, Beasts of the Wild. So guys, we're on to our very last matchup, our very last battle of round one, um, and the last battle of this episode. Um, two films that, after maybe some sort of the uh, the more bombastic and adult nature of our previous movies, this is a bit more slow paced, a bit more uh, easy going. Uh, we have mm-hmm. the indie darling, Lost in Translation, against the uh, classic family movie, which is a Christmas film. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Home Alone. Annie, where do you stand? I really want to argue that it's not now. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I think you could make a definite argument that this is not a Christmas movie. Um, this is a movie about the American <laughs> suburbs and um, suburbanite paranoia, I think. Um, but it's also a coming-of-age story. I'm going to have to go with Home Alone because we recently watched that on the Movie Morgue podcast. And uh, there's just so much to love about this movie uh, from Macaulay Culkin's performance, which I think not a lot of people remember this movie in particular. They remember the sequels, but not necessarily this film. uh, Because this film has a lot to say about, you know, this kid who... He's a little too old for his age, and he's also very, very clever and funny, but he's also, he's a child who's been left at home while these robbers are coming after him. It's funny. Um, it's very sweet in some places, too. So I'm going to have to go with Home Alone here. I think it's going to be no surprise to anyone who knows me or knows the show, which made my books and go, and I'm going to go the other way and go for Lost Insulation. Okay. I think that... Home Alone is everything Annie says it is. It, it is. it is a staple of Christmas viewing. It is a large part of my cinematic childhood. Um, and I think, as Annie says, it, it is deeper and it has more to say than people think it is. It's, it, people think it's, it's kind of... Everyone remembers the japes and, you know, the spider on the face. But it also has things to say about family, about forgiveness, and about what it means to be part of a family um, and what it means to be part of a community, I suppose. Um, and what it means to become in in quote unquote a man and grown up and to deal with that and and how you know childhood can seem harsh but it's far better than the alternatives um so i think <laughs> home alone is is far better than people often give credit for that being said lots of relation it is a beautiful film i think the the way that Sophia Coppola shoots um the city there is wonderful i think bill murray is is pitch perfect in that kind of aging actor role. And I think Scarlett Johansson, who has had troubles in later years and hasn't maybe found um, her place. 
Um, despite her move towards action stars in recent, um, obviously with the Marvel movies and um, Ghost in the Shell and things like that, um, here she plays brilliantly this kind of, once again, slightly naive, also slightly beyond her years, um, young married, um, young wife, and the pairing of those two, along with the sort of the slow cinema that, that Coppola brings, uh, for me is a film that I return to again and again and again, and it is a film that continues to delight me in interesting ways every time I watch it. So it takes it just at an edge, um, but uh, yeah, Lost Station has it for me. Sam, settle the last debate of the show. <laughs> the great debate, really. Um, almost tempted to go with Home Alone just for the <laughs> delight in Annie's voice as she declared that it wasn't a Christmas film. Um, it, it is It is a great film. It's one that you can return to and watch quite regularly. Um, well, once every 365 days. Um, but then it, it's yeah, the it, you can say it glorifies violence a bit and then you can say well hang on this is just slapstick this is just Lauren Harvey updated or this is just Tom and Jerry with in, in live action um, so yeah I wouldn't very seriously argue against it it is it, it, it is a great film for all the reasons that you've mentioned, particularly for what it says about um, community and family. Um, and Lost in Translation, I think, I mean, it, it's clear to everyone who's, who's listened to this podcast that, that Rob has a lot of time to this film. I've been more lukewarm about it and never been a huge Bill Murray fan and I don't really get on board with this idea of slow cinema and nothing kind of happens but then I suppose there's a link between that and kind of what you're meant to know about the lives of the Scarlett Johansson character and the Bill Murray character and and also it it would be a shame to leave people the impression that I really didn't like Rob because it's not true. Um, <laughs> so, you know, f- for those reasons, I'm going to go with Lost in Translation in this one. Fair enough. So there we have it, guys. We have our matchups for next time round. So I'll just run through them all so we can uh, we can uh, make those uh, plans for next week. So first up, our first matchup next week is Before Sunrise versus Harry Potter and the Prison of Aragorn. Second matchup is Dodes Caden versus Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Third, we have got Big Hero 6 versus The Prestige. Up next, we've got The Apartment versus Blues Brothers. Then we've got Social Network versus The Martian. We've got Die Hard versus Station Agent. We've got Do the Right Thing versus Reservoir Dogs. And last but not least, we've got Beasts of the Southern Wild versus Lost in Translation. Some interesting matchup there, and we'll be back next week, guys, as we take those those 16 films, hopefully down to eight, and if we get time, even down to further than that. So I want to thank Annie for coming on and being our guest host and being our tie break this week. Uh, there have been many 
many matches this week where Sam and I would have hit deadlock as we uh, we disagreed wildly on some things. <laughs> so thank you, Annie, for that. Thanks for having me on. No problem. It's been great. We'll put details to uh, the Movie More podcast, which is a brilliant show. Um, if you like what Sam and I do around kind of dissecting movies, but you want more of it and like longer episodes, um, they do a great job, and their, sh- their shows are certainly longer than ours. Um, so they do a great show over there, and uh, not just my episode. All, all of the episodes are, are really good. Um, so if you want to check them out, there, they've recently done... Um, we are about to do Crimes of Grindelwald this week, and it's going to be something. I I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim. Yes. Yeah, so they've just done Scott Pilgrim uh, versus the world, which is a great film. And uh, I, I really enjoyed their in-depth analysis on that and, and their discussions around how it handles a lot of things. So please check them out. Um, and we'll see you guys back here next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.